0: This is episode 56 of the 99 forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen and joining me tonight to recap the Edmonton Oilers home opener and make our predictions for the 2022-23 season are two contributors from heavyhockey.com, Spencer Pomody and Ryan Lotsberg. Guys, how's it going tonight? Good. How's it going, Eric? Yeah, it's going good, man. Ryan, how's it going with you?
1: Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Eric. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's always great to have you guys back on the show, and it's even better when we get to record an episode after a big Oilers win. Uh, Ryan, after sitting through eight preseason games, how great was it to watch a a meaningful Oilers game again?
1: Yeah, it definitely felt good. Uh, My heart was racing a little bit more, (laughs) needless to say. Um, Yeah, it was definitely a lot more exciting, and I'm happy the season's back.
0: Yeah, and Spencer, uh, how excited were you to watch uh, an important Oilers game again for the first time in more than four months?
2: It was, it honestly didn't even feel like that long, like usual, so it was pretty nice, though, especially with how the game started. I was a little worried, but never and in frustrated. doubt, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, never,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they found a way. <laughs> exactly, and you know we're used to six month off seasons over the past 16 years. And to have one that was a lot shorter this year, that's what we should expect going forward with McDavid and Dreisaitl in their primes. You know, we want to be reaching the the conference final and seeing the Oilers get to eventually a Stanley cup final. So hopefully these off seasons are just going to get shorter and shorter. Yeah, that's what I, that's all you can ask for until you can go to the parade. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'll, I'll definitely be making out the, the trip out to Edmonton when that happens.
2: Oh, I'll be camping out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Say, save me a spot on 104th Ave. <laughs> exactly. I, don't worry, guys. From row seats. <laughs> there you go. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about that game now that got the season off to a great start. Uh, so the Oilers scored five unanswered goals to erase a 3 nothing deficit as they defeated the Vancouver Canucks 5-3 at Rogers Place on Wednesday. Connor McDavid scored a hat trick and added an assist in the victory. McDavid also recorded his 700th career NHL point and his second hat trick in a home opener. Leon Dreisaitl finished the night with three points himself. Uh, Spencer, the Oilers are never truly out of a game with McDavid and Dreisaitl on the team, are they? No, never.
2: It's, it's incredible. Like you think down and out, especially with Demko, and that's it. a good goalie, and they just. Three nothing. They just find a way. It is incredible. Like that power play is magical, and the the penalty kill too. Got to give them credit. But oh, just watching those two work on the same line, and got to give Evander Kane some credit too. But oh, they are just—it's they're just heads above the rest. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, uh, without a doubt. And Ryan, after the Oilers fell behind. in the second period. What did you think of head coach Jay Woodcroft's decision to load up the top line by playing McDavid and Dreisaitl together?
1: It's a little bit different this year than in years past because we finally have the depth to create a second line that can score when we want to load up the top line with McDavid and Dreisaitl like it was uh, Hyman, Nuge, and pooley for most of the night on the second line. But in the third period, Woodcroft swapped Hyman and Kane around. So you had Kane, Nuge, and Hopkins, and Pulley, arvey on a second line. Like, you, can, you can load up McDavid and dry and still give Nuge Hopkins a, a really good winger to play with. So I don't mind them doing it every once in a while now.
0: Was there any additional concern doing it on a night when they only had 11 forwards, though, uh, while playing a man down just because of the cap constraint coming into the game?
1: No matter which way you slice it, those guys are going to get a lot more time than they would in a normal game because of that fact. So whether they do it together or whether they do it separately, I, I had no issue with it.
0: Yeah. Uh, And Spencer, what about you? Like seeing the Oilers go into that game, a man short, I I still think they're much better than the Canucks on paper, but it's an automatic disadvantage being down a guy. Were you expecting McDavid and Drysidel to play huge minutes in that game?
2: Yeah, I think especially because they just had a few months off, just going training camp. It's why not give them some extra minutes. The Warren Fogle one was a surprise. Um, and uh it's i'm i'm okay with it cuz it's just i feel especially with mcdavid how effortless he skates and moves around the ice he can just eat minutes up and it, but it's critical that you don't do it every game cuz you do want to save like A lot of energy, because you're, you're hoping for a big playoff run. It's not about the regular season anymore. It's about the playoffs.
0: There's a two-day break, though, too, right? So, I mean, it, yeah, it's exactly. not like they had to play a game the next day. So there's a little more time for them to rest and recover before an even bigger game this weekend.
2: Yeah, and their season, I believe it does start kind of like, it usually always starts slow. Like, they
0: have the one game against Vancouver, I always feel like, and then they have
2: days off. But coming up Saturday, it's going to be a good one.
0: Yeah, and they really have to take advantage of this homestand to start the season because you're not going to get a lot of stretches like this where you're playing this many games at home. And if you can make hay now, it's going to pay off down the road.
2: Yeah, and and they showed it last year when they got out to a great start and they they had that
0: horrible, I forget what month, I think uh, December, was yeah. it? and uh, December through most of January. There was yeah, about a six-week just... period there where they were awful, 2-11-2. Aww.
2: But they're good start kind of, you know, whereas like everyone was worried, but it's like, yeah, but our record's still good. So you got time. You gave yourself a little bit of time to figure it out. And then Jay Bukoff, uh comes in and he fixed that problem. <laughs> yeah.
0: And as I already mentioned, McDavid registered his 700th career point last night. He became the sixth fastest player in NHL history to ever reach the milestone And McDavid was quiet early on, but he really elevated his play in the second period and ultimately led his team to a thrilling come from behind win in the home opener. Ryan, did it just feel like a matter of time before McDavid broke out offensively?
1: I mean, it's always just a matter of time, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, it's a simple fact that Connor is the best player in the world right now. And my personal opinion is that he's the most gifted hockey player that has ever put on skates. Just because the, the guys that you see today are a lot faster, a lot stronger, and a lot more skilled than a lot of the guys that Gretzky, Lemieux, and all the others played with back in the day. So, yeah, it's always just a matter of time until McDavid breaks out. I mean, like there's always going to be nights where he's held off the board, and there's going to be nights like last night where he goes off for four points. But even on his quietest nights, you know he's capable of doing something special
0: yeah, exactly. And I mean, he he probably is the more the most advanced player we've ever seen. I, I still think that you have to compare players to their own eras. And in that sense, Gretzky will always be the greatest of all time because he was that much further ahead of the rest of the league than anyone else is now. But in terms of the game today and how far we've come, Connor McDavid, his combination of vision, Ah, uh, puck skills, passing, uh, the the ability to just read the play faster than anyone else and make a split second decision. He just has has an ability to dominate, unlike anyone else uh, in the world today, and and that's what makes him ah uh, the the league the multiple time league MVP that he is. Uh, and Spencer, just looking at McDavid last night, he was three points away from a big milestone coming into the game. Whenever he gets close to these milestones, he always seems to just, the very next game, make sure that he gets there. Was there any doubt that he was going to reach 700 points last night?
2: Uh, Well, coming into the game, you felt like, no way. And then once they got off to that just amazing start, uh, (laughs) I I can't lie, I had a little bit of doubts. But then it's just a flip of a switch, and it's just gone. And once you after, I think, his first goal... It was just you kind of you kind of knew like something was coming. you can always he always hints at it and then you just it just takes over and it's a matter of time that's all it is, like Brian said it's just like if you give' them, like it just feels like if you give them a power play, it's like they're gonna score it's oh. incredible. it is just oh it's it's crazy to and me. they didn't get many last night, but they made the ones they oh. got count, <laughs> yeah, Vancouver sure to get a. A little handful of uh, power yeah. plays
0: there. That's for I'm, sure. Oh, I man. mean, the Oilers had two f- full-length power plays that they converted on early, but they then they had the the tail end of a, a couple other ones at the end of a four-on-four. Four. Um, yep. So they and they and actually McDavid's empty net goal to seal it was was technically another power play goal. So he scored two with the man advantage last night himself. Yeah, um, and, and just. Looking at the game last night, it reminded me a little bit of a game from May of 2021 when McDavid hit 100 points in 53 games. And coming into that game, he had uh, 96 points. He was four away from the milestone and he just made sure that he got there. Same thing as last night. Going up against the Canucks once again, same team that he got his 100th point in uh, two years ago. Just it was sitting right there for him and he took it. So just I, I always feel like. He's, even though you, you won't say that he's as motivated by the points, he realizes that his ability to create offense is the biggest thing that he can do to help his team win. Yep, exactly. And in his Oilers debut, Jack Campbell allowed two early goals, but he was excellent the rest of the way. Campbell stopped 33 of the 36 shots he faced, and he had fans at Roger's place on their feet at one point after throwing a big hit on Dakota Joshua <laughs> as they were both chasing down a loose puck. Uh, Spencer, what did you think of Campbell's first game in an Oilers jersey?
2: He was awesome. I thought he played fine. Uh the first goal, I'm o I'm okay with that one. He Pedersen had so much time, and off of a turnover, that's that's kind of whatever. But and, and then that second one, the, on the two on one, Miller just absolutely. That's just a good shot. You gotta sometimes goalies just get beat. And you gotta accept it. And then he just save after save after save. I feel like Vancouver did generate a good amount of chances, and they were getting like we said they had eight power plays, so they were getting. Good shots on him. And he just stood tall. His rebounds seemed way better than they have in the past. And he's, I've always been kind of scared of him, but he gave me a boost of confidence. And just, he's just so happy and so positive. It's like, oh, I'm a fan
0: no matter what. Like, I love him. <laughs> yeah. His, I mean, uh, aside from his play on the ice, he does yeah. have an infectious personality. When you listen to the guy, he's such a positive, upbeat, yeah, even uh, on the ice. You can, he's, shows- oh, without a doubt. Always taps his defenders on the shin pads. Yeah, Yeah, like that is so neat to me. Uh, And and Ryan, I I know it's just one game, but how did it feel watching Campbell between the pipes instead of Mike Smith or Miko Koskinen?
1: It was definitely a nice change of pace, I'll say that much. (laughs) (laughs) But... uh, I don't know what happened on the first goal there. Like, it looked like he just kind of lost his post when he really didn't need to. And then like, the JT Miller shot, yeah, it's a perfect shot, but that's also a clean shot from bottom of the face-off circle. It's one you expect your goaltender to, to save when there's no traffic. So... <laughs> Yeah, he'd like to have those first two back, I'm sure. But he did settle in and he made lots of big saves for the boys. If I'm going to be really critical and really nitpicky on Campbell, I'll say that uh, I think his economy of movement could improve. I noticed a lot of times where like he'd make the save, but then he'd still be sliding, still be rotating when he was corralling the puck. So he didn't finish square to the play or like he'd, he'd be sliding across and he'd end up over the goal line or near it. So those are just little things that I think he's more than capable of correcting. Hmm. And could it just be first night jitters? I was going to say that. that, And some of it
0: might just be some nerves of playing his first game with a new team first game with a big contract. But I like the way that he was able to shake those two off. You know, after allowing the first two goals, he only allowed one for the next, uh, what would it have been? 58 minutes of the game. Uh, I just, I see it as a guy who just is able to stay focused and he didn't let those ones phase him. He just knows that what's happened is already done. I just have to focus on making the next save.
1: And yeah, to his credit, I don't know that we could have said the same thing about Miko Koskinen or Mike Smith in the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, like if they allowed yep. one or two early, it was going to be a long night.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah. And the way I also look at Campbell is, you know his numbers, at least save percentage and goals against average, it wasn't too different from what Smith's uh, stats were last season. However, Campbell is a decade younger. He's got a lot more tread on the tires compared to Smith, who's basically near at the end of his career, and and Campbell still has a lot of room to play. And also, he just uh, how should I put this? He doesn't seem to get as fa- uh, phased when uh, a bad goal gets in, like you'd see the emotions on Mike Smith's face. And and he is a fiery competitor. And sometimes that, that, that fire that burns within him can be a positive for the team, but sometimes it can also hurt the team as well. And I, I just feel like Campbell isn't going to make as many maybe diving spectacular saves as uh, we we've seen from Mike Smith, but he might be a little more consistent, reliable overall.
1: Yeah, definitely agreed on that. It's the momentum sapping goals, like the Miko Koskinen for a shot of the game syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, uh, the the pizza up the middle that Mike Smith would give away every once in a while. Like, I think we're going to see a lot less of those with Campbell.
0: For sure. And and of course, there was also a ceremony before the game honoring the WHA players and um, uh, Ben Stelter, who sadly passed away in August. And of course, just want to take a moment to uh, keep him in my thoughts and, and send uh, uh, our our thoughts and prayers out to the, the Stelter family and everyone affected by that. But uh, when you when you sit through multiple ceremonies, plus introducing all the players on the ice and. And, you know, the big home opener, all the pressure, sometimes it it can just get you off to a bad start. But I like that he just stayed focused and, and was able to shake those ones off.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like you could also say the Canucks had to sit through the same ceremonies. But mm-hmm. yeah, like, like you say, it's the home opener, first game, new team, big contract. It's Everything. OK for a guy to have a little bit of nerves.
0: Without a doubt. Uh, All right, Uh, Dylan Holloway has a promising future with the Oilers, but he had a tough start to his NHL career, making a terrible turnover in his own zone that led to the Canucks' first goal. He finished the night playing just 7 minutes and 41 seconds when the Oilers were already a man short going into the game. Uh, Ryan, other than the rookie making a rookie mistake, how did you think he looked, and would you give him another shot on Dreisaitl's wing against the Calgary Flames on Saturday?
1: Yeah, I I didn't love the Holloway move, having him on the second line in the first place. Like, don't get me wrong, Holloway, great young player, amazing camp, but I don't think that we needed to put him up on the top six when you've got Nugent Hopkins that can go up there. So I think Holloway settled into his game nicely. And once he got back into it and settled on the line with Ryan McLeod and Derek Ryan, they uh, they created some chances and they were good on the four check. I didn't see them running around in their own end very often. And, and like how fast is that third line with Holloway and McLeod on it? Like that's yeah. a handful for other teams to handle. It's like I really like that combination going forward.
0: And especially it gives you more skill on a third line, More certainly more skill than the Oilers have had in their bottom six in a long time. And if you have a line like that that's fast and gets in on the four check and disrupts the other team's breakout, that goes a long way to giving the other uh, lines when they come out more space to – create offense because they know that this, this next line's coming over the boards and they're going to be a lot to handle as well. Um, Spencer Holloway was one of the Oilers best players throughout the preseason, but the regular season is a different beast. Would you play him in the bottom six for a while before giving him another look on one of the top two lines?
2: Uh, that's tough. Cause it's, he was also taken out just due to like penalties. I find too, like the,
0: Oh, like it it, it definitely affected it. Guys like yes. Jesse and Yarvey didn't get as much ice oh, time yeah. because of that too, right?
2: Yeah, which sucked. And it really just gets him out of the game. And I didn't mind yeah, like when he was on the ice with McLeod and Ryan, it was it was a great line. I like I like them together, Dratz and Holloway, the idea. But if it takes a little bit of time, maybe you do just want to start them lower, and it depends what they do with the lines, because it seems like McDavid and Drysdale like maybe Woodcroft likes that together now and what does that, that look like for the second well, line
0: and then I'm, i mean i think that in the long run McDavid and Drysdale apart is what's best for the team it, it just it mm-hmm. makes it so much harder for the opposition to face the Oilers when we can send wave after wave of talent over the boards. You know, okay, here's a line with one scoring champion as our center. And then, oh, here's another line with another scoring champion as uh, the center on that line. And some skilled wingers around them too now. It just, you have that nuclear option that you can always go to and it's great to have that in, in Jay Woodcroft's back pocket, and he can bring that out whenever he needs to, you know, break break glass in case of an emergency. But I would say that if they get into this pattern where they're constantly playing together, then it just, it, it kind of throws off the chemistry of letting the the other lines sort of form the way you'd like to see them.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I also, it, it's also kind of in part two where in the... Uh... Hyman and Nuge, they've always been a good duo, I find. But that uh, line with Puliarvi, I found they held more than their own. I thought yeah. they looked fine, and I liked that together. So it's kind of, as for going back to Holloway, it's, I think him and McLeod, they're almost kind of, uh, they're kind of similar, like not like pace pushers, kind of playmaking, but Holloway's got way higher like scoring ability. And I yeah. think it's it's a cool contrast with Derek Ryan there. And like you and Ryan were saying, they did they were on the forecheck, and I like it defensively. I think it could be a sneaky good line, and why not give it a shot, honestly? like I think they'll be, against Calgary, it
0: would be a mighty fine line. Yeah, and maybe we'll get a sense of uh, that from lines in practice tomorrow uh, ahead of... Uh... An even bigger contest this weekend.
2: Um, And I hope for more. uh, Sorry, I I was just going to say, I hope for more five on five, too, to
0: actually evaluate these games. (laughs) When you spend 16 minutes shorthanded, it's so hard to get into a rhythm and really see how your lines are rolling over the boards. And and going into a game against a team that you expect is going to give them a, a pretty good battle, that's something that they're going to want to definitely um, improve. Uh, and other than McDavid and Campbell, uh, who were you know both very important players in the victory, were there one or two other players that really stood out to you in the win, Ryan? Uh, who do you think uh, had, had a really strong game for the Oilers?
1: I would look at the pairing of Ryan Murray and Evan Bouchard, who uh, I, I believe they outshot the the Canucks eleven nothing at five on five when they were on the ice. It's like <laughs> Murray's a mobile defender; you can can move around the offensive zone and be creative with those elite players. And Bouchard can do the same thing. He can jump up in the rush. He can get pucks here on the point. So, like from an offensive standpoint, I love that pairing. They were on the ice for the goal, the first goal against, but that was the Dylan Holloway giveaway and the one on one with Pedersen and Campbell. So, like, I have a hard time faulting Murray and Bouchard on that goal right. against. Aside from that, they were really good.
0: And Spencer, who do you think had a, a positive impact on the game?
2: I was getting uh, Ryan's answer was perfect. That's who I thought as well. Was that pair was great, uh, but also Hyman. Like Hyman's the easy answer I find. He just. He's just dog on a bone. He just comes as advertised. He works hard. Uh, he just gets everything you want done. He plays on the penalty kill, power play. It's just it's perfect. He had a great game, and it's what you expect.
0: Yeah, I mean Hyman. I I would say he was probably the Oilers' best forward in the first period. Just the way that he was consistently digging in there for loose pucks. You know, he it looks like you know, he was treating this game like it was uh, like he's playing in the Western Conference final again at the same level of intensity. And and it's great to have a player like that who also has underrated skill, but is a player who you can count on to do all the dirty work in the corners that you want to see from a grinder. And Dreisaitl, I guess, would be my other obvious one. I mean, a goal and two assists. Uh, He really got the Oilers going with that power play goal early in the second period. And then just from there, played a big part in getting the team back in the game uh, the pass to Darnell Nurse for the one timer goal on the when they were shorthanded that ended up tying the game late in the second period that was huge and just overall I would say that he was just short of McDavid in terms of uh, his impact on the game but still uh, an impressive outing for the big German for sure yeah he had a great game of course
2: Nurse too, Nurse deserves some credit that goal and he also uh, yeah he had an assist as well
0: but that, that that hit was. Goal just... and an assist for Nurse in that game. Yep. That and hit I'm, was it,
2: oh, overshadowed, kind of. Yeah.
0: Hyman finished with two assists as well. Uh, you know, and also, Evander Kane missed a couple really good chances in front of the net. He he had a couple point blank looks, but I, I really respect him for dropping the puck to McDavid when he had a, an open net where he could have easily scored. And that just shows some character there from him to think that, you know this is a guy who set me up so many times for, for goals last season. I'm going to do him a favor and, and drop the puck here and let him convert the hat trick and, uh, get that hatty for his, his old buddy, Ben, who is, uh, surely watching down on, on that one. So, uh, great to see McDavid finish off the hat trick. He also had a hat trick against the flames in a, a home opener five years ago. so, First player in Oilers yep. history to ever score multiple hat-tricks in a home opener. And just lastly, before we move on to some predictions here, I, I know they've been back since the preseason, but just how great has it been to see the Oilers wearing their classic royal blue and orange jerseys against Spencer?
2: Oh, I love it. It, it just it can't go again. <laughs> they got to stop that.
0: <laughs> it's went away twice. I, I think it should be their permanent look going forward. You can always... If you want to bring in a new alternate jersey every few years, that's fine. But I would say keep this as the permanent home and away set. Ryan, what do you think about the, the, the new old orange and blue jerseys being back?
1: I mean, these are a classic jersey. They are beautiful jerseys. I, You guys have heard me talk about the the orange and the navy before. I personally like that a little bit better, but I have absolutely <laughs> no issues with these <laughs>
0: Any plans to get one in the the next uh, year or so? And if so, is there a, a name that you uh, you want to put on it?
1: I have like 1,700 McDavid jerseys already. So like <laughs> I, I've kind of so got a little collection going. You've got to so you like keep
0: that tainted, trend. It.
1: I'd okay. be painting the group if I went with somebody else. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted because I know they're changing jersey manufacturers within the next year or two. So if I buy this Adidas jersey yeah. and make another bunch of subtle changes, I'm going to be... That is true. Outdated jersey right now. If I
0: buy one, Uh, Adidas is going to uh, be the manufacturer until 2024. So I guess they'll have this current uh, jersey manufacturer for this season and next season. And we'll see who comes in after that. But I don't know. I really like the look of the Adidas one, even though it's the same basic design as the the Reebok one from 10 years ago. I think that this is even a nicer version of the classic jersey than the one that Eberly and Hall and Nuge were wearing early in their careers.
1: Oh, 100%. It's the collar. The like, collar, yes. yeah. The, the old one with the, from uh, Nuge and Hopkins, or the, the hall Everly days, they have the white stripes going down past the shoulder stripe mm-hmm. there, and they don't close off that little triangle at the bottom, so you got an orange gap there, whereas this one, you just got the, it's the white circle around the neck and the completed shoulder. It's just a, such a clean look.
0: It is. Uh, top three jersey in the league, bar none. Hard to argue. To me, it's the best, but I know that there'll be fans <laughs> of other markets that will, will say that their jersey is just as good. All right, we're going to make some predictions for the season now, and then we can look back on this in six months and see how right or wrong we were. Uh, I did this last year, too, with um, a couple of, of the guys uh, who run the, the Oilers on the Ice uh, podcast in Brazil, and uh, I... I think that we hit on a few of them, but uh, narrowing down the exact number on these is always tough. So we'll we'll have a little bit of fun with this now. Uh, I've got about 12 or so questions here. We'll we'll run through them and go back and forth and give our takes. Uh, This is going to be the first full season in Edmonton for Evander Kane, Brett Kulak, and Jack Campbell. Which one of them do you think will have the biggest impact on the team? Ryan, why don't you lead us off?
1: I think Jack Campbell's going to have the biggest impact on the team. I think he's going to be single-handedly responsible for a few more wins. Whereas I don't know that, I mean, they already score a ton of goals. I don't know how much more goal scoring on a McDavid line is going to impact the game. So I'll go with Campbell on that one.
0: Okay. And Spencer, of the three acquisitions the Oilers picked up during 2022, who will have the biggest impact in their first full year as an Oiler?
2: I would agree with Ryan, but the just go different. I'll say Kulak. Hmm. Um, the same reason. Uh, just we have enough goal scoring. Everybody knows that it's about keeping the puck out of the net now, and to have Kulak defend our blue line. Uh, he's gonna be trusted. Like he's playing two lefty, so he's gonna be trusted with some tough matchups and. Hoping for better games than last night out of him and Barry, if that is the pair going forward. But I do think
0: it's Kulak. Yeah, Kulak had a bit of an uncharacteristically kind of off night to start, I thought. But uh, you know he's he was so solid for the Oilers down the stretch. He gave them decent offensive production too. But that's not what I really expect from him. I just want him to use his mobility and his passing skills to break the puck out of the the D zone and just work it up ice. And and if he's solid in his own, then then he's worth the the cap hit that he that he came in at, which I think was right around two point seven five, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, that's, a, that's right. my thoughts exactly.
0: Yeah. Which, I mean, is a bargain deal, I think, for Kulak, especially at this point of his career from age 28 to 32. That's like right when you want him.
2: Yeah, it was a great little hometown
0: discount. I love Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) And even though I think that Evander Kane is going to be a huge player for this team this year and a a, a big piece on the top line, he might even see some power play time as well. uh, But... It's hard to go with anyone but Jack Campbell. I mean, your goaltender is your most important player, and it it doesn't matter how talented the team is in front of them. If you have a a goalie that's just not keeping you in the games and making consistent saves, it's pretty hard to go anywhere. So I I think for that reason, Jack Campbell will be the most important of the three. Uh, Who will be the Oilers' most improved player this year and why? Uh, This time, Spencer, why don't you go first this time? most
2: improved player uh tr- that's a good question i'm going to go with bouchard okay. i think he's just starting to hit the upswing and i think you're going to start to see a he's if he's going to be he's on like really good trajectory and this is i think he's going to take a step and that step is going to be <laughs> big and if he can play uh second pair right hand side minutes and he was all, he was great 5 on 5 last year and if he can continue just getting better defensively and he's going to be a monster on the back end
0: yeah i mean it's hard to debate that and ryan who who do you think will be the oilers most improved player from last season
1: I like that answer, Spencer, and I'm going to kind of tack onto that a little bit. I was on Oilers <laughs> Live on Tuesday, and I gave my bold prediction that Philip Broberg is going to finish the season in the Oilers top four.
0: Really? So that would be.
1: That would be the most improved player. Definitely. <laughs> I would love that. That
0: would <laughs> <be> 100%. <laughs> I mean, from a guy who played, I believe, 23 NHL games last year, to be, to be <laughs> making the jump up to uh, a second pairing D, yeah, I would say that's a pretty big improvement. Um, I will go with Bouchard as well. I was debating Jesse Pugliarvi, but I think mm-hmm. that where... Uh, Bouchard has the ability to take his offensive game. We saw him get 43 points in what was technically his rookie season, even if he was an unofficial rookie because he spent uh, more than the the limit of games sitting in the press box for the Oilers the previous year. I just think he has 60 plus point potential, especially if he gets on the power play and when he has the two best players in the world to pass the puck to, plus a bomb of a slap shot. It just seems like he's poised for a breakout year, either this year or next year, but I wouldn't bet against him getting to 60 this year and becoming the first Oilers since Paul Coffey, I believe in 1985-86, or sorry, make that 86-87 to get there. Um, Who will be the Oilers' biggest in-season acquisition and where will this traded player play when they arrive in Edmonton? Uh, how about let's go back to you, Spencer. Hmm,
2: that's a good one.
0: Who will the Oilers we, uh, trade for, and who will be the biggest impact? Ooh, because we have not much money
2: to dance around with.
0: <laughs> well, assuming that they are able to make the trade work, whether they get a third team involved mm-hmm. or I'm just saying, in your prediction, how is this going to work out? It would. Uh, I think it would be like a I'm going to ask you uh, to predict a name too. I'm
2: going to do it. Yeah, uh Chikrin. It would, okay. it would it would be a Chikrin and it'd be like a Barry Broberg package going
0: and then well, they would I, sign Demers for the third pair, I think. Sure. And and, and you don't even have to uh, make a a prediction of who the Oilers yep. are sending. out. that I mean it's fine if you want to add that. I'm just saying who where do you, the player that you think will arrive. So we'll go with Chikrin um and Ryan for you who is going to be the Oilers' biggest in-season acquisition?
1: If I'm being fully honest, due to the cap situation and the fact that any trade is going to be dollar in, dollar out, I don't see anything big happening this okay. year. But uh, Elliot Friedman seems to think differently. He's been talking yeah. about games. oh yeah. He's been talking about <laughs> Klingberg. And there's obviously the Patrick Kane talk. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, for the sake of having some fun, I'll go out a limb and let him say Patty Kane.
0: Yeah, you know what? That's the one I'm going to go with as well. I mean, you might as well go for it. It's if there's any interest from Patrick Kane in coming to Edmonton, you have to find a way to make that work. This is a guy who is still an elite player in the league at 33, almost 34, and he he had 92 points last season. I just feel like you put him on a line with either McDavid or Drysdale, that could be the piece that gets them over the edge and wins the Stanley Cup, even if you have to give up a first-round pick or a pretty good prospect to make it happen. You you figure out a way to make that trade work, get Arizona involved to eat some money and and, uh, send a a pick or a prospect their way as well. I just feel like they don't want to let another year go by without making a massive addition at the deadline to get, them over the hump and beat a team like Colorado in the Western Conference final and find a way to get past a team like Tampa if they get to the Stanley Cup final. They have to load up and with McDavid in year eight and Drysidel in year nine, now is the time to go for it. So my answer is going to be Patrick Kane as well. Um, How many 50-point players will the Oilers have this season and name them? Uh, Who wants to go first on this one? I'll give you a minute to think if you want.
1: I'll go on this Okay,
0: You're going to name them
1: Yeah, I feel like the number is Four And their names are Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl Evander Kane, Zach Hyman
0: Okay And uh, Spencer, who do you have?
1: I have those four
2: But one name added on And uh, that is Evan Bouchard
0: Okay, I'm thinking I'm going to get a little more optimistic here. (laughs) I'm going to say Campbell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, we'll, he'll get there with with all his with all his assists. Uh, Those with those Mike Smith type assists up the ice. (laughs) Uh, I'll say okay, McDavid, Drysaitel, Kane, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, Bouchard. So I've got seven.
1: Ooh, I should have added Nuge too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
0: let you. Okay. Add, so you're going to change it to five? Yeah, I'll go five
1: and add Nuge. Okay. I'll, cro-
0: I'll cross Fair. out your answer and, and, and fix that one on my sheet here. Uh, I mean, if Nuge is healthy, he should be good for 60 plus points. We've seen it over the last few years. When, when he's in the lineup, he's a, a solid offensive player. He might not be the top point predictor or producer that we thought he was going to be when they drafted him in 2011, but he's a, a excellent two way player. And you know, when he's on the, the power play, that's when he's at his best. So I think with how deadly the Oilers power play is going to be this year, he's going to rack up a lot of points. Even last night on the McDavid goal, he did a great job setting that play up. If there was such thing as a third assist, he would have got it. I mean, just the getting the puck down low to dry sidle right over to or to Hyman and then to dry sidle then to McDavid is just—it looked so automatic. So he's just deadly there, and that's why I think he'll be good for at least fifty points if he's healthy.
1: Like Nuge, uh, though, like if he's going to be on the third line, which it seems like that's mm-hmm. the plan most nights. I don't know that his contribution is going to be great five on five. But it hasn't been very good very in the last few seasons at five on five, even when right. playing a wing with McDavid or Drysaitel.
0: But that's where he does his damage is on the power play, right? I mean, he's never been a fantastic even strength scorer, but he's effect he's effective on the power play, and he's effective on the. Uh, penalty kill. He's a special teams expert, so that's where I think that he is going to have his impact with the team. Um, how many 20-goal scorers do you think the Oilers will have this season? And once again, name them. Who wants to go first this time? Ooh, uh, I can go. I think that'll All be right. uh, Drats, okay. easily, Connor,
2: easily, Evander Kane, you, hopefully... Oh, Hopefully gets there. Uh, I think Zach Hyman. Um. And then,
0: hmm. I'm gonna go with those four. Okay. And what about you, Ryan?
1: Yeah. So I th- I said when I was on Oilers Live, I said six, and my six were McDavid, Drysaitel, Kane, Hyman. Pull Yarvey and Holloway I have mm. to add Nuge to that though
0: <laughs> see I think Pull could be somewhere in the 16 to 18 goal range but last year I predicted I think I think I predicted on this podcast last year that he was going to get to 30 and I don't know if he's ever going to be a 30 goal scorer now maybe he'll eventually raise his game and get to 25 but I I think he still has to show it a little bit, so I'm going to be more conservative with that and say he doesn't quite get there. Holloway, that would be an outstanding rookie season if he could score 20 goals. I feel like he's going to be in the teens somewhere as well. So I'll say McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kane, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, and I'll go for my sixth, Evan Bouchard. I think he will be... Oh,
2: that'd be awesome. <laughs> I think he'll be
0: the first defenseman to score 20 goals for the Oilers since Sheldon Surrey in 2008-2009. So it's been a while.
1: Yeah. I mean, on Yarby, I Jarvie, th- he, he got 14 in 65 games last year, and he had a bunch of... <laughs> Of lengthy as droughts, I think he had a couple of six gamers, an eight gamer, a nine gamer, and a fourteen gamer. Yeah, he only played sixty-five. So I think if he stays healthy the full year and can throw and can avoid the fourteen-game streak without right. a goal, I think there's an easy path to him getting twenty goals.
0: I mean, I hope that he does. And you'd think that if he does get enough time playing with either McDavid or Drysaitel, that he'd have a chance to get there. Same with Yamamoto. I mean, he yep. scored twenty goals last year too. I'd, I, I'm i debating even if I want to add a seventh and have Yamamoto getting there, but I still see him as a little more of a playmaker than goal scorer. And as I'm talking right now, I'm almost talking myself into having Yamo as a seventh one. So, like, why not? Life, <laughs> life's too life's too short That's to short. bet the under. So make it seven. Exactly. Okay. I was thinking
1: about Yamo too, but I, I think you can only have one of Puliyarvi or Yamamoto. I, mean, I think Puliyarvi pulls himself ahead this year.
0: Okay, good enough. Okay. Um. Now we're going to get into some of the big ones. How many goals will Connor McDavid score this year? Ryan, I'll let you take this one first.
1: Sure, I'm going to get him at 52 this year. I think that uh, everyone's thinking Evander Kane's going to fill the net on that line. But I think people are going to be reading that and covering for that. And I think McDavid's going to be forced to, to shoot a little bit more this year because of that. And he's got—he's fully capable of scoring 50 plus, and I think this is the year he does it.
0: Oh, I mean, I don't know if you caught that interview that Elliot Friedman did with Leon Dreisaitl between yep. periods. That w- and that was from the NHL media tour in France back in uh, August, but. He Elliot asked him, like, do you ever bug Connor about shooting more? And and Leon's like, he said, I've told Connor, you know, you could score 60 goals. And, and Connor said, yeah, I know, but I, I'm a passer. <laughs> so I love that. The, and even if Leon's kind of ribbing him a bit there, I think that's still pretty funny. So, uh, yeah, does, does Connor McDavid have 60 goal potential? I believe he absolutely does. I don't know if he'll get there this year because I think he is going to lead the league in assists and be... Once again, the, the best puck distributor in the league and setting up all of his skilled wingers for multiple uh, 20 goal seasons and 30 goal seasons. So I'll say that he will also score 52 goals. And sorry, Spencer, what's your prediction for uh, Connor?
2: Yeah, I was, uh, I said uh, earlier, I think uh, 53
0: it'll be. Okay. Yep, 53. You're going one above Ryan and I. Yep. <laughs> this so is price, price is Right, Spencer. Yeah, Price is Right. Yeah. <laughs> Anything over fifty-three, Spencer wins as closest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Big Brother does that too on their competition. So I guess he, he's, he's got it covered there. And uh, this is the even bigger one now. How many points will McDavid record this season? Uh, I would, I think, one. 132 which would be the first 130 point season in McDavid's lifetime it was last done by Mario Lemieux and Jaromir Yager in 1995-96 it would also be the highest single season point total in the salary cap era uh, Ryan what's uh, what's your prediction for McDavid's point total
1: So I'm going to throw a little bit of math at you here. Last year, he had a 14 game stretch where he only got 13 points in the other 66 that he played. He got 110. If he stayed on that pace throughout the whole year, he'd have been at 137. So that, that 14 game stretch I referenced was the 211 and two stretch for the team. He missed one of those games. But uh, assuming that there's full health and the team doesn't have the bottom fall from underneath them at any point this year, I think 140 is within reach, and I think he's going to get 141.
0: Hmm. You know, you're very close to mine. I have him getting 140 points. Uh, I thought you know, like. Earlier this year, I was saying that he might get 100 assists. I was thinking that, and I think that there will be either one of these years, either this year or next year, where he has a 50 goal, 100 assist season. And I was debating doing it this year and saying, you know, is he is he going to get the 150 point total? Um, I still, I mean, 140 points is still astonishing. So I will say that he's going to have. 52 goals and 140 points on the dot. So if if it's prices right, once again, you beat me there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now let's move on to Leon Dreisaitl. How many goals will Dreisaitl score this season? Ryan, you can go first this time.
1: I've got Leon at 61.
0: Just okay. one
1: up Austin Matthews.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love the shade. <laughs> <laughs> just have to be that a little bit better <laughs> than any Leafs player. Yep. I mean always. he already he already is better than Matthews, right? But now he'll even have the the goal total. Still, so really have nothing to say. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Spencer, what about you? How many goals for Drysaitel?
2: I think he just
0: misses 60 with 57 this year. Okay. I mean, 57 would still be a career high oh, over the yeah. 55 he scored Incredible. last. year. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we just go back, like try to put yourself. 10 years ago watching the Oilers and thinking the Oilers are gonna have a 55 goal scorer someday. It seemed like something that was unthinkable, <laughs> right? In twenty twelve. And here we are in twenty twenty two and it's a reality. We used to get excited, like, wow, Jordan Everly scored thirty-four goals this year. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big Eberly fan, but we're seeing Leon Draycittle pushing for 60. We're talking about McDavid having 140 points. I mean, these are 1980s type numbers happening in the 2020s. Like we're we're so fortunate to have these two guys in oil country.
1: Yeah, it's if this was uh, if this was 2012 and you told me that, I'd say, yeah, you're probably going to watch that game in a full room full of unicorns and leprechauns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: oh no this is real life man uh and how many points will dry record this season ryan go ahead
1: i'm gonna put him at 133
0: okay and spencer how many points for dry uh 128 and I mean, think about like that. I, McDavid and Dreisaitl play together so much that they're going to get points on a lot of the same plays, you figure. I just feel like Connor will still find a way to elevate a little more. Uh, and, and if Leon Dreisaitl gets 133 points and he's the second leading scorer on the Oilers, that's just that's insane to even think about how, how dominant of an offense we could be looking at this year. I think they would be poised to score uh, just goals at will almost all season if that happens. Uh, I will say Seidel comes in at 125 points. I'm going to be a little more conservative, mm. which is still 15 points over his career high. And like I said, I mean, you got to be optimistic. This is the time of year when you want to be uh, thinking that Everything's going to go right, and I mean, for McDavid and it's that's as close to a sure bet that those guys are going to push huge numbers as anything on the team, so uh, even if he doesn't quite get to 125, I could still see him settling in somewhere around 115, 120, no problem.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I'm I'm just thinking to myself, what did I say on Oilers Live? I think I said (laughs) 120 for dry. Well, you can say different things on every podcast, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's the that's the beautiful thing of a podcast. You can say a different thing every episode, right? Yeah. Uh, So. uh, how many goals will the Oilers score as a team this year? They last year they scored 109. Or sorry, last year they scored 290 goals, which was their highest goal total since 1989-90. Will they get to 300 this year? Will they fall back a little of that 290? Spencer, what do you think?
2: I think three uh, 300 for sure this year. It depends how much into the threes. I'm thinking because that they have such good depth now on the bottom lines. Huh.
0: I would say you know what, let's go let's have let's go three ten, we'll say. See. And if you think about it, so three hundred goals in 82 games would be three point six six goals per game. I feel like the Oilers are going to score four or more goals a lot. So three hundred seems very doable for them. Ryan, how many goals will the Oilers score this season? Well, I believe last year they were about 6th, if I recall. I think 7th. Tied for 7th, I, I believe. Okay.
1: And I'm just trying to see what Florida did last year. I think Florida had a ridiculous year. at they 340. did. Yep. 340, yeah. Yeah.
2: 310 yeah, might be standard. low. Toronto still had 315.
1: Yeah, we had I three think they, they could take too.
0: a step back too, though. I'll put
1: us at 320. I like Okay. That. I th- like I, th- I did say we would lead the league in goals this year, and I think it's going to take about that much.
0: So you got to go for it. Um, I'm with you. I think they're they're going to score 325 goals. I think when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl, both over 50, which we both think, and one of them over 60, plus we're talking about having potentially 720 goal scorers, I just see them taking that big step forward. Even if a guy like Bouchard, you know, adds some more goals, you got a guy like Holloway coming in. That's it's just the talent across the board is more than we've seen in a long time in oil country. I think in my lifetime this is the deepest group. Well, I mean, technically when I was like one or two years old and the Oilers were Stanley cup contenders and champions that you could argue that those teams were, were better. But, uh, since I've been following the team, this is definitely the, the deepest offense that, that I've been able to watch. Um, what is your prediction for the Pacific division standings first through eighth place and how many of the teams will make the playoffs? Ryan, you can go on this one.
1: Okay. So I got the Oilers winning the division.
0: Okay.
1: I got Calgary in second. Mm -hmm. They're good, but not quite as good as us. (laughs) I've got LA in third. I'm going to put Vegas in fourth. Vancouver, fifth. Anaheim, sixth. Then Seattle, seventh. San Jose, eighth.
0: Hmm. So you have Anaheim taking a pretty good step forward.
1: I do, yeah. Like, I think they, uh, they might make the stretch drive exciting. They might make a couple teams nervous. They won't get in, but uh, they'll take a step forward. Like, I like adding John Klingberg on the back end. Ryan Strom got three points in his first game. That's a good add for them. Yeah. Trevor Zegers is going to continue to evolve. Jamie Drysdale on the back end is going to continue to evolve.
0: Yeah, I I still think they're a little ways away, but they're definitely, you know, with the young players that they have and the prospects that they've picked near the top of the draft, you can see that that's a team that's, you know, on the rise. Oh, and how many of them make the playoffs? Sorry.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going to say only three of them make the playoffs because I think the teams in the Central are just a little bit stronger than some of those middling teams in our division.
0: So you're going to go with Edmonton, Calgary, LA. Yeah, you got it. Okay. And Spencer, who are your? Uh, what's your prediction one through eight in the Pacific Division?
2: Uh, unfortunately, I, I, uh, I, am gonna say actually it is the Oilers' year to win Pacific <laughs> Division. Calgary scares me again. I think like they're just they did very well. That defensive core, I got to be honest, is excellent. It is like Ad and is scary, so they scare me. So I'll go. Edmonton, though,
0: Calgary. It's, it's a good blue line, but is Edmonton's offense better? And I think it is.
2: That's, that's a yeah,
0: fair debate. <laughs> and then I think third is actually,
2: if they stay healthy, Vegas. Then I think you got L.A. in at four. Uh, Vancouver will be five. Seattle, I think, is six. Hmm. Anaheim, seven. And then San Jose fighting for Bedard.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to argue with that. I really like uh your your predictions too. I I'm sort of somewhat of the same thinking. Like everyone thinks that the Kings are going to take another jump, you know, with Doughty back even though he's a year older and uh having Fiala come in. I just I think that Vegas is going to rebound a little bit. I don't think they're as good as Edmonton or Calgary, but I I still I'm debating going. Who's going to finish ahead of those two? I think it might be uh, Vegas because sometimes you have to take a little bit of a step back before you take a step forward. I mean, look at the Oilers in 2017. You know, they were a top eight team in the NHL and then missed the playoffs two years in a row. So I'll say that. Uh, oh, and uh, sorry, I should get your before I move on. I should get your predictions for how many of them make the playoffs.
2: Uh, I actually, I think four. I'll go four okay. for this.
0: I will say it's going to be Edmonton one, Calgary two, Vegas three, LA four, Vancouver five, Anaheim six, Seattle seven, San Jose eight. I think San Jose has started to lay some foundation to be, or, or sorry, I think Seattle has, like I said, laid some foundation to be a decent team down the road, uh, especially with Shane Wright and Maddie Baneers as their one-two center punch, but just once again it's a case where it's a little too soon for them to take a step so I'll, I'll i think they'll still be near the bottom but definitely a team to watch out for in the future and i'm wondering if it's going to be four and four teams from the pacific and the central getting in because if i if i go three i'm saying that LA isn't going to make it and i think that they're right on the cusp there of uh, you wonder if a team like minnesota with uh how much cap uh, dead cap they have if if they're going to take a step back. The the Dallas Stars always seem to flip flop two year after year being either one good season, one bad season. So yeah, why not? I'll I'll say four from the four from the the Pacific get in. Oilers face the Kings in a rematch in the first round.
1: Yeah, so, I think we we all seem to. I mean, you guys seem to like Vegas. I don't like Vegas as much. Well, I don't. I'm yeah. not saying
0: I. I'm not saying I think that they're world beaters by any means. I, I think that they yeah. actually were a stronger team three or four years ago than they are now. Yep. But when I look at like I I think Edmonton and Calgary are both superior teams. Just I think that they're good enough to be a wild card team or maybe a team that sneaks into that you know third spot in the Pacific and. It has to go on the road to start the playoffs, but I I don't see them getting out of the first round.
1: Yeah, I think they'll be in the mix for a wild card spot, Mm -hmm. but I think they're weaker than last year and they didn't make it last year. Like, did they give up Max Pacioretty in a trade? Uh, Just
0: year after year, they're sending guys out. I mean, there's just no loyalty in that organization. It's just like, who's the shiny new toy we can bring in? And just
1: that's their downfall, right? They did it with uh, Petrangelo. They did it with Eichel. And both of them meant sacrificing depth elsewhere. They had to trade Marc-Andre Fleury to make it work, they had to trade Max Patch to make it work. Right. And now it almost
0: makes you think if they would have kept that core that they had, say, in 2018 or 2019, they'd be further ahead right now than where they are.
1: I, I think it's true. It's the same thing that Toronto did with Tavares. They've sacrificed so much depth and I think, yeah, they've been great in the regular season, but I think they could have won a playoff series by now had they not signed Tavares.
0: And look, Edmonton's been the benefactor of Toronto having some huge contracts on the books with Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, uh, John Tavares, all making uh, over $10 million. And you got William Nylander on a big ticket as well because of that. They haven't been able to afford a player like Zach Hyman who went to free agency and signed in Edmonton. They haven't been able to afford their former starting goalie, Jack Campbell, who left and went to Edmonton. So uh, we've sort of uh, reaped the benefits of uh, of their... uh, their big term contracts to those uh, three forwards who also aren't as good as the Oilers' uh, top forwards either. So that's, uh, it sure. makes it even better. Um, <laughs> and uh, after reaching the Western Conference final last year, I mean, that was a significant step forward. How far do you think the Oilers will go in the playoffs this year? Ryan, you can start us off.
1: Yeah, so the NHL, it's it's weird right now because of the way their playoff structure is set up where... In the second round, you've you've pretty much got two teams from each division going head-to-head unless a wildcard team pulls an upset in the first round, right? So when I look at the Pacific Division specifically, the Oilers are the best team. So I pretty much expect them to get to the Western Conference Final. And I think that Colorado has regressed. They lost Kadri. They lost Burakovsky. And they lost Kemper. They've replaced th- those guys with Georgiev, who's a career backup that they think might be able to start, but we don't know yet. They've replaced Kadri with Alex Newhook, giving him a chance to see what he's got. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really replace Burkovsky. So I'm seeing a weaker version of Colorado, whereas Edmonton has addressed their weakest position, which was goal. Because Mike Smith was sub 900 in those conference finals. So I could see a scenario where Edmonton beats Colorado and moves to the Cup finals. However, we have to be weary of the fact that development isn't always going in a straight line, right? So we saw it in 17, 18 when we didn't make the playoffs after going losing in Game Seven, sucks in round two. So there is an outside chance that let's say the Oilers win the division and get a bad matchup against, oh, I don't know, a Minnesota type team. Mm-hmm. Minnesota is not a good matchup for the Oilers. So there's a chance no. the Oilers losing the first round, too, if they get Minnesota. Right. So like you always got to have room for that type of stuff. Like we can't always just assume just because they make the conference final, they're going to the cup finals this year. That's how I predicted it going down. But there is a chance that we're all sadly mistaken.
0: So just to be clear, so what is your final prediction on how far they're going?
1: Yeah. Final answer is they lose in the cup finals.
0: They lose in the cup finals. Okay, And Spencer, how far do you have the Oilers going? Just like every year, I have us winning the Cup. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, throughout the decade of darkness, I pretty much predicted the Oilers to make the playoffs every year. And I was basically wrong every year, except for in 2016-17, when they finally ended the drought. Um, But the year that they got back on track in 2019-20 and finished second in the Pacific Division. That year I actually didn't predict them to make it and they did. So I'm wondering if it's actually a good idea to not predict them to win the Cup, but I can't do (laughs) it. I mean, I I honestly believe that this is the Oilers' best chance to win a Stanley Cup since 1990. They will probably have to go out and make one or two moves at the deadline to really get this team over the top. But the Avs, I think you know, they're still a great team, but they got a little worse in the offseason. The Flames, it, some people think they got better. Some people got the, think they got worse. But I just feel like this is the year. And when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl on your team in the peak of of their abilities, this is the time to win a cup. And I think they are going to reach the Stanley Cup final this year. And the first opportunity that McDavid and will get to play in a final, I feel like they're not going to let it pass by without getting the job done so I'm going to say that the Oilers will win the Stanley Cup this year and since uh, all three of us either have the Oilers winning the cup or going to the final which I kind of figured that we might uh, who do you think the Oilers will face in the Stanley Cup final Ryan why don't you uh, uh, finish off us our last question here
1: yeah for sure so I have the Tampa Bay Lightning going back to the cup finals I think that uh, they didn't, yeah, they lost Ryan McDonough, but uh, I think they have enough from within to make up for that loss. And they have so many injuries in the playoffs last year that I think they're going to have a little bit of an easier time
0: going through the playoffs this season. Okay. So you have Tampa over Edmonton in the final. I do. And Spencer, what is your 2023 Stanley Cup final prediction?
2: Uh, one of the teams I actually think is looking pretty good once healthy and once they get there is uh, Boston. I think Boston can get to the finals this year. They're looking great. And other than that, I just it's that Atlantic Division is deadly. Other than just Boston, Tampa. One of those, I think it is Tampa's turn to, you know, kind of take a break. I would love to see Carolina and the Oilers, though. That's my, that's my
0: dream, just for revenge. And then, but I do think it's Boston for the East. You know, I'm with you. I think that it's going to be <laughs> Edmonton versus Carolina rematch of the 2006 Stanley Cup Final. I I still have never forgiven the Carolina Hurricanes for beating us that year, and. It would just be so sweet for the Oilers to come back and get their revenge and beat uh, Carolina after uh, that heartbreak in 06. So I'm going to say they, they ended up doing it, and the Oilers will beat the Carolina Hurricanes to win their first Stanley Cup since 1990. Oh, I hope it happens.
1: <laughs> I I, hope I'd hope be happens. entertaining for sure. <laughs>
0: <Yep>. <laughs> Definitely. Well, guys, look, I just want to thank you again so much for being on the Prediction show tonight and having some fun doing this. Uh, who knows how many of these we're going to get right, but it's just always a blast to talk hockey with you guys, and hopefully I'll have you back on at some point again during the season.
2: Thanks yeah, for exactly. having me
0: back. For sure. And one. just just before we go, is there anything that you guys want to promote that you're coming uh, that you have coming up or that you're working on? I know you've both had articles out lately. So uh, Ryan, uh, what do you got? What are you working on right now?
1: Um, so I'm kind of taking things as they come right now. I've been putting out a lot throughout the preseason, and uh, I've, after every game, I've been doing call out
0: standouts and shout outs. So an interesting series I've. enjoyed being one of the first ones to read it
1: thank you yes so i'm hoping to keep that going as often as i can and um as far as other pieces i don't have anything in the bag right now but i will surely be doing lots of content for hot heavy hockey this season so keep your eyes out for me
0: Definitely. I mean, you've been posting almost on a daily basis, it seems, for the last month. So (laughs) I just, I always know I've got an article to read the next day from you. And Spencer, you wrote about uh, Max Wanner recently. Uh, Are you going to be following the prospects a lot during the the season again and maybe uh, putting out a few more pieces on them?
2: Yeah, I'm hoping to. And just mainly trying to cover the WHL as well. Um, Hopefully that... uh, Some of those guys, like I want to do some Jake Chase on here Mm -hmm. soon. He's been out to a great start. Like your tweets have been saying he's out uh, to a good start. And then just this year is so fun for the WHL. It is loaded with, like everyone knows, Connor Bedard. But it is a deep, deep class this year. And it has been so fun even early on watching them. So that's probably most of what my content will be on this
0: year for Heavy Hockey. Well, that's awesome. And it's been a while since the Oilers have had multiple prospects in the WHL at once. Uh, It seemed like in the 2010s there were guys like Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones, and before that you had Jordan Eberle. Uh, I mean, there there was always a a player or two to follow closer to home. And really, this is the Oilers' backyard. They should know it as well as anyone. And uh, I think that uh, scouting in the West – is uh, is a very important thing for this team, and you know, keeping players with the organization for years to come. So let's hope that uh, these guys are going to turn out. As you mentioned, Jake Chase on off to a really good start. Although he's even been outdone by this year's first round pick, Reed Schaefer, who yep. has scored six goals in his first four games for the Seattle Thunderbirds. So uh, Schaefer off to an excellent start of his 19 year old season in the WHL. Yep, it's a big one for him. I'm excited for it for all of them this year. Yeah. And he will be able to turn pro next season uh, as he will be 20. So, yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a a player that, you know, he's unlike a lot of other prospects in the system. He's a guy who has a little more size and uh, a little more strength. And it's great that they've added some of these one shot scorers like Petrov and uh, Savoy and uh, uh, who's eluding me right now. I mean, Holloway definitely has some scoring ability, but I would call him more of a passer.
2: Yeah, like LaVoie.
0: LaVoie too, yeah. Yeah. So having another goal scorer who's also a a bigger body, I I think that's something that the organization definitely wanted to address at the draft this year. But anyway, guys, thanks again so much for joining me. Uh, We'll get this podcast out soon. And everyone, please go check out everything that Spencer and Ryan write. They're they're two awesome writers. And uh, guys, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Thanks Eric. Eric. All right. So for Spencer Promody and Ryan Lotsberg, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.